Welcome to Carbon Times. As the global drive towards creating a more sustainable world for us all continues to gain pace, our goal is to create interesting content where we will speak to people from across all sectors on what can drive sustainability in everything that we do. We are inviting interesting guests along to talk to us about their experiences and what they are doing to share knowledge, experience, innovation and ambitions. As ever, we want to get everybody talking. We all have a responsibility to create a more sustainable world. Now, many of us want to do what we can to slow the effects of climate change. And as a consumer, it means choosing products that are better for the environment. But do you know what you're buying does what it promises? Well, calls to stop so-called greenwashing are growing. This is now a Global North Greenwash Festival. This is greenwash gone mad. We're going to share the idea that greenwashing has got to stop. Welcome back to the Carbon Times podcast. As ever, we've been searching around for interesting conversations so we can introduce you to interesting people that have a lot to say about the world of sustainability. So we're delighted today to be joined by Dan from Beagle Button. Beagle Button are a plugin for your browser and reading directly from their website, they provide a browser extension that fetches planet-friendly alternatives. So the first question I have for you, Dan, is there's a very dog heavy theme there. So is that conscious? And what was that initial thought about before we go into the company? Yeah, I think uh, thanks for having me. I think it was deliberate. You know, I think sustainability is obviously uh, arguably one of the defining issues of our time. And it can be very easy, I think, to get lost in climate anxiety and, you know, not knowing what to do and the feeling of despair. And I think our approach has always been, can we try to make it fun? And, you know, it's not that fun, <laughs> really realistically, but it's good to make it enjoyable and let's have some fun while we try to do something positive and make it all part of making it accessible. It's making it enjoyable for people. And, and what we try to do is have a positive impact on people's lives. And I think we wanted to start by kind of going, well, what does our brand want to be? Mm-hmm. We want it to be bold. We want it to be fun. We want it to be accessible. I think there's a lot of stick reasons to to make sustainable changes and to adopt sustainable policies and behaviors and products and practices. But can we add some carrot into that and make it fun and easy and enjoyable as well as convenient for people? And then we might have a bit more success. I think there's a a joke about vegans and I'm not vegan, but I have obviously a lot of respect for vegans and I eat a lot of vegan food and use a lot of vegan alternatives. And then the joke is, how do you know the vegan in the room? And it's so because they told you. And I think we sort of wanted to say, well, is there a softer way that we can do that and not be someone who's the butt of a joke, but be someone who's supportive and helpful? Excellent. That's a really nice way to package up, I think, what you do. So on that point, tell our listeners a little bit about Beagle Button, what you are and what you're doing to drive sustainability in all of our lives. So Beagle, we are trying to change how the world shops. And we're currently doing that through our Beagle Button browser extension. This story started, I suppose, in 2017. I made a New Year's resolution to reduce my consumption of single-use plastics. And I had no idea that this resolution was going to go on to have such a big role in my life. But 
I just thought this would be a good thing to try and cut back on. I was working at the time in a big city office. And in those days, I used to use the plastic cutlery for lunch that was available. And then I would go through the motions of washing the knife and fork and then putting them in the recycling bin. But I think in the back of my mind, I thought, I know enough about the world to know that this probably isn't how things work. And there was always a rumor in our office that they never actually recycled the recycling anyway, that they just threw it in with the rubbish. I did chase down that rumor and was assured it wasn't the case. I also went on an ill-fated campaign to try and move them over to mugs from disposable cups, which did not go anywhere, despite lots of emails from me. But when I visited the office a few years later, I was pleased to see that they did switch to reusable mugs. But what I also started doing alongside moving away from disposable plastics and carrying a camping fork which would get a few funny looks in the office was switching out all of the everyday items that i used for plastic free zero waste alternatives so good examples would be a toothbrush or toothpaste shower gel shampoo everyday products that do have essentially less disposable or equally disposable but less impactful alternatives so uh, when going through this process was quite hard and, and tracking down these products wasn't easy so i think in the back of my mind at the time, and I always come back to bamboo toothbrushes, it probably won't be the first time I mentioned them today, there was this mountain of plastic toothbrushes that were all of the plastic toothbrushes I'd used up until that point, and I was something like 27, right? So I could just think of all of these toothbrushes I'd used since I was a baby and think, that's terrifying. I don't want that the impact I'm having on the planet, and that scales across all of the products that I've used. Okay, I don't want to add to that anymore. How can I stop adding to that? And what can I do to help other people that do the same thing, ultimately? But in researching these bamboo toothbrushes, I would get 3,000 results on Amazon. And this was me just as a passive consumer wanting to do a good thing, completely overwhelmed by the number of choices that were available. Mm -hmm. And it was very difficult to unpick the genuinely sustainable from the greenwashing. And I remember digging into one of the brands in particular and being like, "Where? how is this? And obviously it said what I wanted it to say, which was 100% biodegradable, but I was trying to understand why. And then they were claiming that black bristles were 100% biodegradable because they were charcoal, which like makes sense. Oh yeah, charcoal is probably biodegradable. But then how do you make bristles out of charcoal? You know, a piece of charcoal versus a toothbrush bristle. And so, you know, and what I'm talking about is greenwashing, right? And so I then went through the process of finding these great sustainable alternatives and pulling them together for what was a subscription service that would help people do the same thing. So that led you, first of all, then to kind of take that idea and offer it out to, I suppose what you were trying to do was reach a lot of people quickly if you were providing a subscription type service. I think at the time I was working full time and found it very hard to keep these products in my life. No sooner would I find alternatives to everything that I'd run out. And so I thought someone must have made this easier, but nobody had. So I set up the subscription service to make it easier for, for people to adopt that lifestyle with less friction. And in setting that business up and, and building that subscription service out, I attended a plastic hackathon that was an anti-plastic hackathon that was looking to tackle the plastic crisis in a number of different sectors and found myself in a group with someone who is now my co-founder or one of my co-founders, Tara Button. And we were both running green or eco-friendly businesses. And then we were sort of going, well, everybody will tell you that 73% of people, most people will tell you that they want to make more sustainable choices, but we're not seeing that in terms of the traffic that we're getting or the people who are making these choices by, you know, buying things on our respective websites. And at the time we'd both, I think, been introduced to Honey and Pouch, both of which are browser extensions and that were making an impact on how people were shopping. Mm -hmm. So those are voucher-based coupon code browser extensions that when you go to check out, they pop up and say, here's a 
discount code, would you like it? And what that does is it gives consumers the confidence that they're going to get the best possible price. And so they're more likely to check out. So consumers love it and retailers love it. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking that's a really powerful use of browser extensions and that sort of technology. What would that look like in the sustainability space? And how could we harness that to help people find and access these sustainable alternatives that we're selling through our websites, but actually not finding a huge amount of people that we would expect to see uh, finding them. So what are the barriers that are blocking those people and how can we use technology to address them? And we understand from our users that there are four primary reasons why people don't shop sustainably. The first is an obvious one, which is price. And alongside that, I think there's this assumption that at an increased price, there's a trade-off in quality, which just isn't the case, but it needs to be addressed. And the second one is greenwashing. People are concerned that they're being greenwashed. And so then they're unsure whether they can trust the credentials and, and what a brand is putting forward. And the other two are just that they may not know that these products even exist in the first place. And part of the fun of our job is finding these sustainable alternatives to as many products and services as you can imagine. And there are more and more every day. And then the final reason is that people struggle to adapt these into their everyday behaviors. A browser extension is really useful in the sense that once downloaded, it just sits in the background. So it's quite sticky. And then we're in the position of the user journey being that you download the Beagle button and then you proceed to shop as normal. We understand when you're shopping and then what the product is that you're looking at. And we're able to pop up and make an equivalent recommendation. So if you're looking at skinny jeans in black, we can pop up and say, here's a sustainable alternative in the same color and style. And we work like that across 90% of the UK retailers and the main retail websites and with thousands of products. Excellent. So there's a lot of really good points just in that, you know, that initial kind of setup process there around that shared realization, I guess, of the fact that there are things out there. But the other browser extension options you gave there, I could see why there would be difficulties with that type of approach. Really, some of the alternatives were not driving people's behavior, I guess, that they were still offering a good alternative that you can get discounted you know, ethical choices, if you like, or sustainable choices, if you go in this direction, but people still have to go in that direction, you know, consciously before they can go and do the shopping bit. So I guess you're aiming to close that loop in a way that you know what people are looking for. So you're just presenting them immediately with the option to do something different. Exactly. And I think if we keep making it difficult and adding barriers, then we're not going to convince more people to do it. And so we want to make it as easy and as seamless as possible for people so that we can encourage more people to try these products. And I think the best case scenario through a user using the Beagle button would be that they get a sustainable recommendation or they get a recommendation for a sustainable product while they're shopping. They are already looking for something. So we're not saying buy more. We're just saying buy better. They click through and they go through to our brand partners, a product that we verified that we vouch for. And then they order that product. It comes through their door. And that seamless digital experience that we've facilitated is matched by a really positive physical experience of the product itself, which will match their expectations in terms of packaging, but also should exceed their expectations in terms of quality. And then that user is going to have a really good experience with that product. They haven't been greenwashed. They've received a good product. And the next time they go to make a sustainable swap, they'll remember the experience they had and that it was positive and go, oh, actually, I will make that switch again. I will opt for the sustainable option, be that through one that we're delivering through Beagle or one that they're just looking at in their everyday lives on the internet or, or out in the shops. So hopefully by doing that, we can nudge more people towards more sustainable consumption and that lifestyle and, and accessing that mindset that you can buy better and it will last you longer and you'll have a great experience of a good product. 
So I just want to touch a little bit on your customer group, really. So what you find in interesting or at least noticeable about the demographics so far? I think demographics are what you would expect in the sense that we are majority female and the age range is predominantly between 25 and 45. Mm -hmm. I think what we want to do is help make sustainable consumption mainstream, which would be balancing out you know, the gender profile a little bit and getting more and more people on that journey. There's an interesting way of I suppose, chopping up the demographics, which is that 10% of people are dark green, right? They're already committed to sustainable choices and they are only going to go for the sustainable option. More and more people are light green, which if you put a sustainable choice in front of them, they'll take it. Mm -hmm. So for us, when we think about who we could reach, it's that 73% of people who, if presented with a sustainable choice, would take it. And that's who we want to get to, which is a much broader demographic. Which is, again, that's a really good challenge, I guess, to have as you're developing, you know, strategically and, you know, how you look at the market, etc. It makes you think in the right direction about that area of people that you know want to do what you want them to do. It's just facilitating that first step or that first move to them doing it. And I think that it's obvious and there are loads of barriers, right? Is if you think about your own life, it's hard to carve out time for the things that you already care about and let alone find another thing to care about and then start carving out time for it. So the easier that we can make that, the more we hope we can encourage people to embrace this way of shopping and slowing down a bit, buying less, but buying better. And from your customer base to date, what do people enjoy the most when you seek that feedback or when you get that feedback from people? Or I guess, you know, it's digital, so you're bound to get some level of digital reviews somewhere or Google reviews. What's the kind of standout features in that feedback? Yeah, it's great when we have people coming at us with some of the less expected recommendations. I think, I suppose, I think back to the first time that we had somebody come out of the the woodwork, let's say, and, and share some feedback, which was, yeah, the way it works, I guess you get a notification on LinkedIn, which is, you know, not necessarily what you'd expect. It's not necessarily a review on, say, the, the Chrome web store. And the feedback was a really a testament, I suppose, to what we're trying to do, which wow. was, I downloaded this product because I like the sound of it. It's a very honest feedback from somebody. I downloaded this product because I really like the sound of it. And then I totally forgot I had it downloaded. I don't shop much, but it was my husband's birthday or Christmas and I needed to get him some joggers. So I started shopping for joggers and Beagle popped up with this recommendation for this product. I clicked through and I explored it. They looked great. And I bought the product and my husband loves them. And we thought, oh, that's absolutely what we set out to do. That was pretty amazing. And then you go about sort of trying to obviously do more of that. So I think that's the feedback that we like the most. And a lot of the feedback that we get is that easy to use, easy to set up. And that's, you know, obviously helpful. But then I think when you really hear those customer stories is where it's the most rewarding. So I guess just a weird question that's just popped into my head. What's the plan to target more of the man market, if you like? Good question. I think... I'm not sure I have an answer to that question. I think it's the same as everything, right? It's slow and steady and one day at a time. I think in our state, you don't necessarily think of big, bold campaigns. I think more in terms of everyday growth targets, but there are big, bold campaigns that we'd like to launch that could be ways to, to access that. I think the most important point that I'm interested in in pushing, I guess, for people is that it is an easy thing to not do, but actually there are three really good reasons to do it. Two of them are kind of really well-known and spoken about a lot, but I think the third is maybe a little bit more interesting. The well-known ones are that obviously people still fight this fight, and I think that's the right thing to do, is that it's good good for you, good for your wallet, right? Because actually 
Sustainable alternatives typically are more expensive, but they're also long lasting. They've been designed to be long lasting. They're not built with inbuilt obsolescence in mind, you know, that people who make them want them to last a long time. So ultimately buying once, it's that same, you know, buy cheap, buy twice. In this case, it is buy good quality. And I'm thinking on a very small sort of deodorant level here, you'd be surprised that, yeah, one deodorant stick may be three times the price, but it will last three times as long. So actually it's the same price, which in turn is good for your wallet, right? good for the planet. But I think the final one is that there's a a sense of, I think the psychological benefits and the mental health benefits to, instead of feeling like there's this existential crisis that you as an individual can do nothing about, tapping into, I mentioned it, but sort of consuming less, trying to buy less and trying to be more deliberate with your purchases and not just fill your life with needless crap. And you will feel better about, I think, everything and your impact on the planet, which in turn, I think can be quite empowering. So I think there are universal reasons for everybody to do this. And more and more, we're we're pushing those and we're emphasizing those and just encouraging people to try it. And what you tend to find, which is again, feedback we receive is that most people find that the sustainable alternatives they switch to are very good products and they don't look back. It's a world of difficulties, as I've had very recent experience of, which is quite embarrassing. But, you know, considering one, what I do for a living and the fact that I sit here hosting this podcast is and it is a consumer based challenge, which I think something like your product directly looks at. It's I recently bought some very nice soaps from an Instagram ad that just popped up and it caught my attention. I'm a very visual purchaser anyway, so I'm kind of a marketer's dream, really. But you know, they talked about the naturalness of the product. I use soap anyway, as opposed to any chemical based products. I, you know, like the sound of it. Weirdly, it's called Dr. Sasquatch. And that's my pet name for my wife. So that in turn made me kind of connect with it a little bit more as a consumer. And I just went ahead, ordered to clicked pay, boom, done. About half an hour later, I checked my confirmation in my email only to you know, then start to feel a little bit of depression in the fact that I realized that it was coming from America and it was currently just being nicely packaged up and put on an airplane to be flown over to me. Two bars of soap on an airplane over to England so I can wash myself in the shower. It's just that kind of thing is doing the right thing to a degree in terms of, you know, getting away from using chemicals and coming in plastic and, and all of that type of thing, only to then, you know, completely ruin it and probably double my own carbon footprint just by ordering some soap. But, you know, like, so it's a product like yours can help to avoid that type of consumer mistake. Have you got any experience where people have come to you with that type of information or was that anything, you know, part of the journey before? Yeah, I think there's some really interesting ones where, things like products will get shipped and then people will come about and be like this bubble wrap and then you know immediately see bubble wrap and freak out but i think it's biodegradable bubble wrap made from algae you know or something like that and then i think people are quick to feel that they've been misled and obviously what we're trying to do through beagle is make sure that that doesn't happen that said they are moved from the browser extension through to our brand partners which is why the vetting i suppose of the brand partners is so important because the experience needs to be end-to-end and it needs to cover i suppose from you know the delivery of the product through to the packaging but i think what we find is that most of the brands and certainly all of the brands that we work with are trying to do their best. So there are people out there who are just trying to, you know, do exactly what happened to you, just send you a product, whatever happens, but I think, and build a business. But there are a lot of 
people dedicated to conscious capitalism where they're trying to build a successful business, but not at the expense of the planet. And those are the people that we like to work with. And those are the brands that we like to champion because once we're confident that that's what they're doing and that's what they're committed to, then yeah, championing them and putting them in front of our users is easy and exactly what we want to be doing. So that really brings me on nicely to talk about the process, because I think that would be something that people would be genuinely interested in listening to and talking about, because it was something that when we first came across Beagle itself, that we did a bit of digging and a bit of looking into that process and how visible it was, et cetera. And it is, you know, I have to say, it's very, it's quite commendable. It's easy to find what you're up to and what you're doing. So it's not, for the sake of the listener, it's not a kind of simple checklist process. So it, it could be the fear, I guess, from people is that, you know, you just go around every city in the UK, picking up, going, visiting all the head offices of all these terrible companies and finding a sustainable angle and then working with them because it's commercially sensible for you. You know, you make money off of every click through and all of that kind of jazz. You know, that would be the cynics view. So my experience of what you do, I think, is vastly different to that. So it'd be good to hear about, you know, exactly that kind of accreditation process or approval process to be able to be part of the brand. Yeah, absolutely. And from the very beginning, that was exactly what we wanted to be was a source of trusted recommendations, right? And we want to be helping people access these great brands and products. And not every brand is great, neither is every product, but there are lots of really good ones out there. So we worked with a third party to build a rigorous framework that assesses a brand and a product credibility across five major pillars. I think the important call out, first of all, is that you can't pay to be on our platform. So we assess a brand and their products against these five key frameworks, which are, do they reduce waste? So we look at what they're doing in waste reduction, what they're doing to minimize their emissions. What are their emissions? What are they, what are they currently doing and what will they be doing in the future? How do they support workers? Do they protect animals and are they avoiding nasty chemical use as much as possible? Obviously those vary across the categories because we have thousands of products, but each brand and product is scored in those areas and provided they are above the sufficient score in each area, then we're happy to work with that brand, happy to show up that product to our users, and we'll onboard them onto the platform and start recommending them as a sustainable alternative. So it is a rigorous process. And I think in the beginning, it was you know, quite as manual, yeah. um, but we've obviously worked to be able to scale that up without yeah. losing the quality, uh, which is an important part. And I think the final bit, I suppose, is that we, when figuring out how we were going to do this in the very beginning, another interesting question came up, which was how do we define sustainability for people when it means different things to different people? Yeah, And I think there isn't a silver bullet, then there are a lot of different answers. I think some people would say that it's just about carbon, but actually we want it to appeal to everybody else. I think carbon is an important piece of the puzzle, but so is vegan if you're a vegan and so are plastic free, if you're particularly passionate about plastic free. And so we built another part of the product, which is your preferences. So if you download the Beagle button and then go to your account, set up an account, you can customize the recommendations that you want to see based on your sustainability preferences. The thinking being who are we to define sustainability for people? Instead, we should ask them. So if you are more passionate about plastic-free products or buying from a minority-owned or a female-founded business, then you can customize the recommendations that we'll show you so that you can you know, help further the sustainability elements that you want to see in the world. 
Brilliant. How are you finding companies' responses to what you're doing now? And are you finding either companies that you wouldn't expect looking in your direction or, you know, basically what's the response? Like I'd imagine initially quite slow or, you know, you get your early adopters and those people that really, really want to sell the message or really want to be that alternative. And as you gain traction, you'll get more and more people thinking, oh, that's interesting. What's going on over here? So are you at that point yet where you'll get into, I guess, brands you didn't expect or don't want to see coming to you? Yeah, I think that there's an element of that. And we do have a backlog of brands that have applied to be on and that we've had to prioritize based on essentially business need. What are some of the gaps that we've got that we've identified in our database and then plug them through? Well, first place to plug them would be, oh, have, has anyone applied that, that is suitable for us to then assess? I think it is exactly what you said. I think at different stages, you get different responses. Early on, we are obviously, you know, a claim versus certification are two very different things. And if you want to check, and I think that's a big part of what we do is the first question you can ask is, okay, well, what's the brand claiming and what can they actually back up? If you're as a consumer and you're just casually looking, I would recommend do that. And if there's no certifications to back up the claims, then you should look elsewhere. And so we look at how good a brand claims to be and then how good they actually are. I think when we were a lot smaller and we're getting going, we wanted to work a lot more closely with the certifications because ultimately we champion all of the brands that are on, you know, that have their certification. And then, yeah, you got a lot more like, well, you know, come back when you're a little bit older and wiser. And hopefully, you know, we will continue those conversations. But now it's sort of a question of when we have time as opposed to, you know, when they have time, which I also get. I think the people who I suppose we, the brands that we end up working the closest with are the brands whose interests overlap the most with us in the sense that they want to get out there. They're looking to access those users that we've got on the platform and they're looking for more ways to get in front of more people. If you're older and much more well-established, it makes perfect sense that your priorities are elsewhere. And hopefully we will work with those brands in the future. Excellent. So the kind of ending part of my question there was, are you seeing anyone you don't want to see? Is that becoming a problem or do you see that as a future perceptive problem maybe i think if that problem i wouldn't say that problem's happened yet but i think that's probably because to my previous point really we're very focused on the parts of getting the brands in that we need to get in to fill the gaps that we've got so you know we are onboarding brands but it's selectively based on the gaps that we've got so if someone obviously doesn't fit those criteria then yeah we sort of just leave them in the queue essentially I suppose longer term, what we'd like to be able to do would be to say to a brand that came to us and said, we want to work with you, we'd be able to explain to them exactly why we couldn't yet work together and then help them on the journey to improve enough to be shown on the platform, right? Ultimately, that would be a scenario, but at the moment, it's sort of which plate needs spinning more. That'd be a really great place to get to though, wouldn't it? As an organization, the fact that, I don't know, in essence, to describe it in a very simplistic way, you're not quite good enough yet. We need you to be better for our customers to actually appreciate what you can do. I think in the marketplace, generally, that would be a great conversation for people to hear. People can have focus groups and do their own marketing feedback, et cetera, but it's always it's always swayed in one way or another. You're, what you're also doing, in a way, is providing an independent go between the customer and the product, if you like, or the brand to be able to fill that gap and answer the questions that both sides might have. Absolutely. And all of our customer data is fully anonymized. And so we, obviously we don't sell it, but also we don't 
track users on an email basis. So you can sign up and then you have your, all we see are the number that has been you know assigned to you. So we don't, and we want to protect users' data. That's a big part of our policy. But it's really interesting to look at the actions that people take versus the preferences that they've got and what really moves the dial, which does vary across the months. But what one of the biggest, and it's interesting, tree planting, obviously a very hot topic, but yeah, tree planting, people are three times more likely to buy from a brand that's got a strongly signposted tree planting initiative than they are from a brand that doesn't. And these are some of the insights that we start to see about how people are shopping. That's fascinating. That's really good. And now I suppose that again is the type of data that will lead you to the position that you want to be in because you will be able to advise and guide people in that way. I'll ask a question then that, you know, it's a future question. So when you start to challenge the big websites, when Amazon start to look in your direction and go, we've lost probably 10,000 products this month alone to that damn button. (laughs) What's your plan for that beautiful scenario? I think there's a combination of staying true to our values and then trying to have as much impact as possible. And what's better than 10 people shopping sustainably is 100 people shopping sustainably, right? So if there was a way to work together, then that's not something that we're against. I think swimming upstream is hard enough anyway, but at the same time, that would have to align with the values that we've set out as a business and and what we're trying to achieve, which is to not greenwash people. And I think when I mentioned those criteria about protecting animals and also supporting workers, you can start to see how certain partnerships would be ruled out off the bat based off, you know, the headlines that we see every day. So it's, you know, putting those products on the platform. I think there's a lot of interesting reading about people buying sustainably and the Amazon climate pledge and what that does and how deep that needs to go, which I think also aligns to how much consumers care. And what we try to do is streamline that for them. So we'll do the research, which is painful, and then they don't need to worry about being greenwashed, which should make it easier. And then it's a question of, would they trust somebody like one of the big players to do that for them when you know we're committed and what we're about and what we're trying to do is connect them to good products that they will love which is a little bit different i think to what most of the major retailers are trying to do it's a general mindset change i guess really in that sense but you know things like what you're doing really is helping drive less consumerism like you were saying drive people towards better choices but those better choices are leading to better quality products because that kind of journey, I think, is really interesting along the fact that for someone to be able to work with you and to work with the platform, they have to be able to demonstrate all the key aspects that you would want to see in a sustainable brand. If they've done all that, the product's going to be of high quality. You're not going to go through all them steps and come up with a rubbish product. Exactly. And it's interesting when, and there are some great examples throughout the history of products, right? Where they always talk about them with Crocs, where I suppose Crocs are a bit Marmite, but Crocs were originally, you know, indestructible. And then they realized that nobody was buying another pair of Crocs. So they were, oh, we've got to lower the quality of this product, right? Which is absolute worst case scenario for us. What we would rather do is connect you to a pair of Crocs that you can have for the rest of your life mm. if you're already shopping for Crocs. So the brands that we're working with, and you know, back to the preferences feature, you can use that feature to only find buy for life or lifetime guarantee products. 
made by people who want you to buy a really good thing once that will last and that you'll enjoy and cherish. And it's a little bit confusing, but I think it's also easy to try and it's confusing to think about this cross category, but then at the same time, one of the things I think is really important, and there's loads of people doing really good stuff with this in the circular economy is the value of something once you've bought it. So, you know, buying a shirt or buying a dress or buying, you know, some clothing that sits in your wardrobe, it's not the end of that journey, that product's journey. You know, you can use that a bit. And then if you decide you don't like it, you can move it on either through resale, which is obviously back again, it's good for your wallet, or you can give it away through something like Olio or give it to charity. And so just thinking a little bit differently about all of the products that are in your life, when as a consumer myself, you know, when I'm looking at, buying a coffee machine or a coffee grinder, right? Our last coffee grinder, the warranty expired. So it was, so, okay, when, what are we buying? I'm buying the one that's got the best rating and the longest guarantee because I know that they've built it to last, which is what I'm looking for, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. So, and I think more and more, and, you know, it's difficult because consumers are, we are fickle and we're busy. And back to my early comments about having enough to care about already, But what you start to see is people repair cafes where people are trying to get things fixed. And so I do think that this conscious consumption movement is picking up speed. And in the backdrop of a cost of living crisis, it is confusing because you're initially being presented with something that's X times the price, which is very off-putting. But as a mindset, if you can start to, and this is another good way to think about it, is if you adopt the zero waste lifestyle, that's not about deciding tomorrow that you're going to go to your wardrobe and throw everything out, right? That's not the point. The point is use less, be more deliberate, slow down your consumption, which inevitably will save you money and you'll spend less, and then go from there and try to be mindful about what you're buying, why you're buying it, where it's going to end up after you've used it and all of those components. And once you get to that point, yeah, you start to see the positive impact on your own life and ultimately your own mental health. It's a really good way of packaging it up in terms of thought, you know, in terms of people being able to connect with it, I guess, to that degree, which is really cool. So what does the future look like? What's the plan for, you know, where do you see yourselves in that the stupid five or 10 year plan, as people will always ask you, I'm sure, when you're trying to attract some investors or something? Yeah, I think if we could wave a magic wand, it would be we could become almost a byword for genuinely sustainable and high quality products. So if somebody was looking for a sustainable alternative to something, they could beagle it the same way that right now you Google something, you Google mm-hmm. If we could do that, I think we'd all be very happy. And the more that we can connect people to the brands and the products that we love, then yeah, the more we'll be happy. In terms of more practically, our roadmap is different products. So, and by that, I mean digital products. So how else can we connect people to these alternatives? How else can we put these alternatives at their fingertips and make that journey easier and more accessible? And a big part of accessibility is cost. And what can we do? The closer we work with brands, the more that there are discounts available. So if we can make Beagle the most cost-effective way to find genuinely sustainable alternatives without compromising on quality, then yeah, we'd be very happy. That's a really positive journey to be looking ahead to as well. That would, you know, I'm sure that helps drive the focus in a lot of ways. How do you find your kind of recruitment process at the moment? So it's always something I'm interested in. So in terms of what you're doing, do you find that people relate to that when they're going through, you know, you you put a job out there and the type of people that are applying, do you find they're applying because they fit the role and it's something they can do or that they genuinely connect into what you're trying to achieve? As always, probably a bit of both. 
I think we do get quite a lot of interest, understandably, I think, but I guess it's about the same way, I suppose, with anything. It's about trying to strip away, you know, what's kind of buzzword level interest, because obviously sustainability is a hot topic. Sustainable tech is an emerging space. And then to try and understand, and to your point, I guess the why are people coming to us and, and what are we trying to do and, and find the alignment between those two. But generally speaking, I think, yeah, having a purpose-driven brand does help with those types of things. But at the same time, we're a very small team uh, currently. So there, yeah, it's been, you know, we haven't been widely recruiting. I always find it interesting in that I find that, you know, the generations below me <laughs> much are really helping to drive this agenda in general, you know, through the decisions they make consciously around, you know, even when you look at your demographics, that the majority is still under 40. It really is being able to to get hold of that. You know, I suppose, you know, there's 73% of those people out there. You haven't got all of them yet because some of them are scared or, you know, all of that kind of stuff and getting there. But I really think it's their children and their grandchildren and, you know, the people they then get to interact with at work and stuff, which are really helping to drive this. Absolutely. And it's a funny one because it does mean different things for the different generations. Mm. That's obviously why it resonates so much with the younger generations, because it's going to be their mess to clean up. That's why they know that, I think. So it does make sense that they care more than perhaps the older generations. But I think more and more, and it is going to take a lot, but I think a lot of progress has been made. It's easy to be negative about it, but I think a lot of positive progress has been made. A lot of awareness has been made. But one of the challenges is that, you know, you can go on, you know, you can go into when I did work in a big office in the center of London and everyone's just watched Blue Planet and they're really worried about plastic bottles for about 20 minutes until they go to the shop and buy their lunch and get another plastic bottle. So it's about sort of trying to remind people and I think nudge people and encourage them to access things and think about things in a slightly different way. And it is a really obvious example once you're on the road to do this and to make these decisions. But I think, you know, on a fundamental level, the plastic bottle example is just a complete waste of money. Water's free. Just carry a water bottle, right? You want to save money, just invest once in a reusable water bottle. And, you know, I think probably because I was the cheapest student in the world, I was already kind of accessing a few of these things anyway <laughs> and secondhand clothes and stuff. But yeah, I think the perception of that this lifestyle is more expensive is one that I will completely agree that, that some of the upfront costs of the products is, is you can't argue with that, but overall it does save you money. So in the backdrop of a cost of living crisis, I would encourage anyone to try and see how they could make a few behavior changes. Indeed, that would be something that would, and I think people fail to connect to that message. And it is a really good message. It's more up, a slightly more premium upfront cost, which is going to get you a far better quality product that's going to last. Even going back to your toothbrush example, right back at the start of the podcast, where you know where people will, you know, you just get inundated with what you could initially perceive to be something that's quite good, but you know, it only takes a small amount of time to start to upset yourself with what you found. Absolutely. And, you know, the worst case scenario for us would be that somebody thinks, oh, I should, you know, make a change and buy a sustainable alternative. And then they get it and it's greenwashing piece of crap. And they won't, who would come back for another, another bite of that apple? Nobody, right? So, yeah, exactly. Or well, they find out it's soap that's been flown over from America or something. Uh, and then I think with that one, you know, I would always just, it's not for you as someone who cares, it's not even 
worth losing any sleep over, right? It does happen and it's far too easy for it to happen. Mm. You know, if you'd been using Beagle, maybe it wouldn't have happened. But well, it does it genuinely, you know, as a genuine point, it does highlight a need for something like what you're doing, right? For especially for slightly stupid people like myself in that context, you know, that will fall into that bubble of not really having what I would perceive as the time. It's lack of attention and a bit of laziness, you know, in reality. But the general perception of time and i will always say oh, i did it because i was in a rush and i didn't have time and i was da, 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 da. you're removing that barrier you know and i think that's to me i think that's where this really really stands out that you're removing the difficulty that some people have in making sustainable choices absolutely and i think a really important sentiment in around this is comes from this is a quote that is not mine about the zero waste lifestyle which this sort of zero waste lifestyle that people might see on Instagram or be familiar with is people taking it so seriously that they reduce all of their consumption to what they throw, send to landfill and only so they can fill a small jar with it over a year, right? This sort of completely, that's what zero waste is. It's using as little as possible, sending as little as possible to landfill. But it doesn't mean, we don't need a hundred people in the world or a thousand people in the world doing zero waste perfectly. What we need is everybody trying to practice a little bit of it imperfectly. For someone in your position who does care and has tried to do a good thing, I just wouldn't, you know, beat yourself up or lose any sleep over it. It's one to learn from and to move on to the next one and the next sustainable swap. And maybe, you know, talk about it as well, because the more that you talk about it, the more that people will be aware of it. You could let the brand know, by the way, you know, I'm all about what you're doing, but We're already done that. <laughs> so hopefully it's all of these things I think are micro steps. And the more that we can take them and again to that accessibility point. It isn't about sort of do or die. It's about find a middle ground that you can work with and take one step at a time and make one change, hopefully be rewarded for it, but also feel empowered by it and keep moving forward from there. Couldn't agree more. So I'll just ask you the carbon profile ending question then just to go from there. So if you had the opportunity to have lunch with our now brand new prime minister, what would you hope to be able to create in terms of influence at that lunch? So I'm an unashamed uh, bamboo toothbrush enthusiast. So I think I'd go armed with a couple of gateway, zero waste, plastic free, sustainable alternatives. And I would really try and sell our new prime minister on trying these products and getting them used and coming back and saying, you know, tell me why you wouldn't switch to this product, give it a chance. And I don't think you'll be disappointed. So I'd go in armed to the teeth with sustainable alternatives, looking to to change some mindsets, hopefully. Get the Prime Minister using plastic-free deodorant would be a win for me. Excellent. Great stuff. All right, well, thank you very much for joining us. I've really enjoyed the conversation. How do our listeners find out more about you? You can find out more at joinbeagle.com and our browser extension is available to download for free. And once you've downloaded it, it'll sit back and do the hard work. So hopefully you don't have to. Well, you know, personally, I would recommend that everybody gets out there and starts to beagle it, as you said earlier. Thank you very much. I hope so, too. Great stuff. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time on Carbon Times. <laughs>